God, thank you that your presence is here with us. Thank you that we can gather and worship and lift you up. Lord, thank you that as we've gone through the last week in our own individual ways, in our own individual lives, that we can gather, that we can commune with you, that we can experience you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fall upon us and that you would continue to minister to us this morning through the message that we're going to share through ministry time later in this service. And God, whether we're gathering here in person or we're gathering in the homes, in our own homes via the live stream, we invite you to come and have your way. Give us an experience of your love and your presence and your power this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. If you're in middle school, Chaz, our youth pastor, uh, will take you across the hall. You're released at this time. He'll, he'll take you over to the community and life room for the rest of your service, and, um, and then we'll gather back together afterwards. My name is Jeff, by the way. If you're new here or new to the live stream and we've never met, it's great to meet you. Thank you so much for joining us and worshiping with us this morning. And we have been here, we've been in a series called Wonder Women, where we've been really studying the scriptures and looking at some of the powerful women of scripture and asking God to disciple us through their lives. But today we're going to take a one-week hiatus. We're going to take a one-week break from the Wonder Women series. And this morning, instead of doing that, we're going to talk about Jesus and politics. Jesus and politics. Only one person left after I prayed. Uh, first service, so hopefully, no, I, I think it'll be good. This, here's the thing, politics in church, I realize it's kind of like the red button that you should never push, but I grew up pushing all of those buttons, right? So we're going to push just a couple of buttons this morning, and we're going to talk about Jesus and politics, and I want to give you just a couple qualifiers up on the front end. I want to be super clear about this so that like when all the emails come flooding in later that I can reference this point of the talk, I... I love our country. Um, I love that we live in a, in a country that, that allows you to vote. I think that we should exercise that right. I, I have opinions. They, I have passionate convictions. And I, and I think that you should too. I think that we should be able to all have those and carry those and even like engage in discourse around those things. I'm also not interested in telling you how to vote. Not interested in that. Not interested in telling you how to vote. I don't think that's my job. But it is my job to sharpen you and to challenge you and to encourage you to look at scriptures and, and apply the scriptures to, to create a Christian worldview in our own lives. And that means that sometimes we have to have conversations that might make us feel uncomfortable, even maybe around topics that make us feel Uncomfortable. So I thought in, in true fashion that we could start with a, just a small confession this morning, just a, a true confession of your pastor, Jeff Faust. I love the Tuesday night when all the votes are coming in. That like Tuesday night, it's the closest thing when, uh, when politics gets to sports, right? Like it's the closest moment when politics and sports overlap. I, and so I love that Tuesday night. I love everything about it. 
all of the votes coming in, the map lighting up, and all of the upsets. And then looking at the counties, I've never learned more about Pennsylvania counties than I have in the last, in the last week, right? I mean, like, it's amazing. I just love, and I took it another step this year. I did a push-up for every red delegate, and I did a sit-up for every blue delegate so we could keep the action and the activity alive well into the night at the Faust House. I was sore. I was sore for, for a couple of days. I'm just now starting to get movement. It doesn't help. We also put the Christmas tree up. Like we, yes, we did. Look, two, two confessions, I suppose. I love that Tuesday night election night, and we put the Christmas tree. It's been a long year, folks. 2020, we, if we ever needed early Christmas, Christmas decorations, it's, it's this year. Amen. Okay, amen. Thank you. I, I got one. No, we, we did, uh, but it was a tough week. It was an interesting week. And, I, and I'm sure even saying Jesus and politics, like there's already a bit of stirring happening within your mind, happening within your heart because of what that might mean for you and what that might mean for your community, what that might mean for your family, what you think or shouldn't think should be talked about from up here. And, and I prayed a lot about this talk this week. I prayed a lot about what to say and, and tried to really discern what the Lord wanted me to engage with. I prayed for our church. I prayed for our nation. I prayed for many of you, right? And, and while I was praying, I, I, feel like, I feel like it became clear that this talk might be challenging for some of us. I feel like this, this may even offend some of us. And, and you have to know on the front, like, I never write a talk, I never pray about a message, I never uh, look at Scripture looking for things to offend people. That's, that's not my goal. But I just know that in the midst of talking about anxious things, things that make people anxious or make our culture stressful, that there is a chance for offense to take place. But I settled a long time ago as a pastor that I would never shy away from difficult things just to make people feel good, but that I would always be a pastor that was willing to wade into even challenging discussions. Because I think, again, it's my job to challenge and sharpen and encourage and teach, and at times correct if correction needs to take place. And the beautiful thing about like the preaching calendar is my wife is preaching next week. She's way sweeter than I am, and she's going to continue on in the Wonder Women series, so... Uh, like I said, it's just a one-week break in this, but I really feel like we need to talk about Jesus and politics. And if I can, if I can ask you to do something on the front end, I, I would like to ask you to just pray silently right now that you would have an open heart, that you would have a tender heart, that you would uh, walk in humility and, and, and allow God to maybe even speak to you personally this morning. See, it's, sometimes it's easy when we talk about things that are challenging to talk about to assume that I'm talking about everybody else in the world, to assume I'm talking about every other church in the world or, or surely someone at least across the room, but, but not to me, right? And so that's what I want to encourage you to do. Maybe God actually has something for each and every one of us, whether you're here, whether you're on the live stream, that God actually might speak to each and every one of us this morning. That's the commitment that I would encourage you to make as we wade into the scriptures this morning. So I want to pray. I know we've already prayed, but I think this one deserves a double covering. So let's, let's pray and then we can jump in to the message this morning. God, thank you. Thank you that, that you're here with us right now. Thank you. You've been with us all week. Thank you 
that for over 140 million or however many people voted that you were with those people who voted, that your presence actually never left us. And then we invite you to speak to us this morning. We ask you, God, to teach us, to encourage us, and to sharpen us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, over the last few months, I feel like I've been exposed to a few new ideas in the American church. And I suppose there are probably ideas that have been around for a long time that have just been heightened to my awareness in the last few months. I've gotten emails from people all over the nation. I've gotten emails from folks inside of our church. I've gotten text messages and, and phone calls. I've seen some of the most unbelievable social media posts that I can remember. Cartoons and arguments and political rhetoric from followers of Jesus that that simply seemed like they were created to tear one another down. I've also read some articles and some journals and listened to some things that were incredibly powerful, amazingly influential and compelling. And, and by the way, just so you know, I've read arguments on both sides of the aisles you do realize that there are really brilliant people out there who really love Jesus and they vote completely differently from other people who are really brilliant and also really love Jesus. This is, like a, this is a real thing. Even within our own church, you might be sitting next to someone that voted very differently than you. You might be a lot closer than you realize. If it's a divided home, you know this tension, you know this tension well. But this is in our church, live stream, in person. We have a lot of people that vote very differently than one another. And I, and I love that. I love that about our church, I, but I, I just want to point out that this is a real thing, that there are folks who really love the Lord, who are really intelligent in the way that they approach scriptures and apply it to their lives, that have a deep conviction that a, a Christian vote is a, a blue vote or a Christian vote is a red vote. There are people here this morning that are celebrating, and there are people here this morning that are mourning. People are celebrating because a woman of color was elected as vice president of this country. If you agree or disagree with her policies, isn't it a beautiful thing that we've saw, we've saw that happen? Others are mourning because they feel like their ideas for our, our nation are in jeopardy. And, and maybe some of the things that they hold very close to their heart are in jeopardy. And I know sometimes we assume that everyone votes like we vote, that everyone we sit by and everyone we attend church with votes the exact same way that we vote. But I, I can tell you, knowing a lot of you and hearing from a lot of you this election season, I know that we're a very purple church. We really, really are. And I love that about our church. I love that, that we can gather and unite and worship despite political differences all under the same roof. And it seems like right now the world is having a hard time doing that. But the church should be a place, if anywhere, right, where we can gather and unify ourselves behind the King of all kings and our Savior, even if we have political differences. I love that about our church. But I also want to say something that I, that I don't love very much. Something I don't love right now 
or some of the social media posts that I'm reading, some of the things that I've heard Christians say to other Christians during this time, some of them are incredibly hurtful. As someone who's dedicated my life to studying the scriptures and preaching the scriptures, some of the things that I've heard Christians say to other Christians has been offensive to the gospel. It's been hurtful. And just so you know, I'm not talking about theories. I'll actually share with you some of the real quotes that I've heard in the last couple of months. These are real things that people are saying right now. And not just like outside of the church. These are, folks are saying this within the church. And I realize that by sharing them word for word, like this is, this is potentially provocative language, but I don't want to shy away from this. These are real, these are real things that are being said. I, I've heard this. If you vote for him, and any time a phrase starts like, if you vote for him, you know that it's probably not going to be great on the tail end. If you vote for him, you must be okay with killing babies. This is a real quote. You're a baby killer. That's what, that's what has been said. Now, I, I, this is a rhetorical question, but as you hear, does that sound like an effective way to share the love of Jesus with, with anyone, anywhere, anytime? And just so you know, I, I'll be an equal opportunist this morning. I've also heard this. I've also heard this. If you vote for him, you're a racist and you must hate immigrants. These are real things that are being said. As Christians, I just don't see how that is very productive for sharing the gospel. Yet what I've learned in the last few months is this is where we're at as a as a nation, this, this pain-filled, almost hate-filled language, it's just, it's far off from the gospel. And remember, I just, just as a, a third or fourth reminder, I'm talking about people inside the church using this kind of language with other people inside the church. If you vote this way, you're that type of person. If you vote that way, you're this type of person. And we just sling names and aggression towards one another. And it almost feels like our culture and our, and our own individual lives are so full of anxiety that it's just spewing out on the people around us, people that we even love. But it's being done in a way that does not bring glory to God. And for the record, I love passionate debate and deep convictions and sharpening each other through arguments. You can just ask my wife how much I love passionate, ask my staff how much I love passionate debate. They will, they will laugh at you when, if you were to say that because I do, I love to engage. My favorite college courses were like persuasion and argumentation and all these different things. I enjoy that. But treating people like garbage is never the answer. Treating people and saying those types of things to one another just because they vote differently, that's, that's never going to bring Jesus glory. I think what it points to, and man, I, I think more than even those phrases that I shared, I think what I'm about to say is maybe even, even more hurtful than all of that. I think what this points to is that American Christians are, are maybe being discipled by their political parties more than they are their faith. But some of us have been discipled by our political affiliation more than our connection with the person of, of Jesus. And I know, I know I'm, I'm treading lightly this morning, but with love and with conviction, if you allow me to say it another, I, I, think, I think some of us, 
We've become better evangelists for who we voted for than we have evangelists for Jesus. We read more, we talk more, we share more, we, we post more about a, about a flawed human than we do the perfect and loving Savior who's taken us from death to life and created an eternal relationship with us. Some of us have become better evangelists for that candidate than we have our own Savior. In the last three months, if you just like self-reflect for a moment, if you just self-reflect for a moment, in the last three months, have you done more to make Jesus famous or have you done more to make your political affiliation famous? And where, where, do we, where do we land on that? Have you done more to win people to Christ or have you done more to win people to your political leanings? I want to read some scripture for, for you this morning from Paul. If you don't know the Bible very well, if you've never heard of Paul, this is a guy that planted all kinds of churches in the New Testament era and actually ended up going going on to write much of the New Testament. But before I read the scripture, I want want to give you a little bit of context of what Paul's writing into and what we're looking at this morning. In Paul's day and age, there was a fair amount of division. Fair amount of division in his eyes. Sound familiar? to? I mean, it's amazing how like 2,000 years the word can still apply to us today. The division in Paul's day was between Jewish believers and those that he called Gentile believers. Basically, Jewish believers folks and non-Jewish folks. And there was a division in the church and people were drawing party lines and they were talking about who's in or who's out. Or at the very least, they were talking about who God's favorite people were. And there were even arguments on whether or not that the new Gentile believers were even real believers at all, or if they needed to change their life or change their ideas or change their viewpoints in order to become accepted in the church. It led to people acting differently around certain people and an argument between Paul and another guy named Peter. I mean, these were the kinds of divisions that you saw happening in Paul's day. And all of this was happening when you land on 1 Corinthians chapter 9, our text for this morning. But Paul addresses the situation in a way that you might be surprised by. He doesn't address it by like creating the perfect argument and saying, here's why you need to think this way. A, B, C, subpoint one, two, three, there's the airtight argument. Now come and agree with me on my particular side of things. Paul doesn't address it that way. Instead, he actually teaches us that we're looking at it in the wrong kind of way. That it's not about figuring out the best answer, or the best argument anyway. That it's actually about winning someone to Jesus more than anything else. That it's not about winning them to an ideology or a thought pattern or a particular way that you interpret these scriptures over those scriptures. Paul is saying there's something more important. And that more important thing is winning someone to Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23, he says, "'Even though I am a free man with no master,' I have become a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. But even though, or even though, excuse me, I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. 
When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. Verse 22, when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness. For I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Paul's saying it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who, what rules you follow. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter if you're weak, strong, rich, poor, Jew, Gentile. He says, Paul says that he'll lay everything he has down. His ideas, his thoughts, his lifestyle, his beliefs, he'll lay it all down so that he might win some to Christ. Everything gets laid down if at least some might be saved. This morning, we have to wrestle with the reality that there is a bigger calling on our lives than getting someone to agree with you politically. There is a bigger calling on your life than simply getting someone to, to vote like you or think like you or buy specific signs for your, your front yard. There is a higher calling, and the higher calling is to win people to Jesus, not a president. If Paul was here today watching our political climate, if he saw how church folks were talking to other church folks, he might say, to the Democrats, I became a Democrat. To the Republicans, I became a Republican. I did this so that, verse 22, remember, so that I might find some common ground, doing everything I can to win some to Christ. Can you live like Paul? Can you commit to living like Paul? Have you ever had a conversation with someone that you vehemently disagree with in terms of politics? And you listen to them and you engage with them, not to convince them that your way is better than their way, but actually because you love them and you value them and you, and you want their opinions and their voice to be heard. With tenderness, now listen, with tenderness, I want to say to you this morning, if you can't have one of those conversations, it might be a sign of a disordered attachment. Again, I, I think everyone should have their passions. Everyone should have their convictions. I love that, but we never want to allow the attachments to ideas and ideologies to get disordered. We need to make sure that in the hierarchy of our own values, that winning people to Jesus is always a higher value than winning someone to our thoughts and ideas. And it takes an emotionally mature and an emotionally healthy person to do this. I understand you, you have to stay fairly self-differentiated in order to have discourse like that in a very loving way. But this is exactly what Paul is saying. That we can always press into finding common ground on anything so that at least some might come to know the Lord. And if, if you're not ready to do this, if you're not ready to to engage in this kind of loving way, can I, make a, can I make a pastoral request this morning? If you're not ready to engage in that way, can I, can I say that it, it's gonna be okay for you to disengage for a little while? Like actually saying nothing might be better than some of the hurtful things that have been said lately. 
Saying nothing might, might do more for your testimony with Jesus than saying hurtful things. One of the common phrases that I've heard a lot in the last month is that somehow God has cho- chosen and appointed one particular person over another. It's always funny how all these arguments get, get used on both sides of the aisle. And I think I kind of understand the language. I think I kind of understand where the argument comes from. Like God loves these types of things, and so therefore God will anoint this particular person to be the leader of the country. But then other people say, but God doesn't like these types of things, and so God will appoint a a leader so that these types of things don't happen. And the problem with that, though, if you just let me present this to you, is that when you say things like God chose this person or I'm voting for God's anointed leader or a vote for this person is a vote for God because that's God's person and, and those kinds of sayings, that the problem with those types of phrases is that they don't really fit into 1 Corinthians 9. Like you have to do some serious work to make verse 22 and those types of phrases work together. Because Paul said, I'll become all things to all people so that I might win some for Christ. I, I hang out with a lot of people that don't know the Lord. I intentionally try to meet lots of people who, who don't know Jesus. I, those kinds of conversations invigorate me. I love introducing them to the person of Jesus. I, I was one of those people for most of my life. And so I have a special place in my heart for folks that are, that are far from God. And what I've learned is that when folks far from God hear the church saying things like, well, this person is God's chosen, or a vote for this person is a vote for God, they don't know what to do with that. And they actually end up drifting further away from the church and further away from Jesus than leaning into him. And maybe you've, you've never thought of that before, but I, I just want you to consider it this morning. That for the love of people God's placed in your life who maybe don't yet know the Lord or or people who vote differently than you, when you say a vote for this person is God's choice or it's a godly vote, that it could actually be hurting your testimony for Jesus in the long run. Paul saw this, right? If you just go back to the earlier thing that I asked, are, are we becoming better evangelists for our Savior or for politicians. And this is so important. Guys, this is so important because the last time I checked, I don't serve a donkey or an elephant. Right? I'm not giving my life to them. I'm not willing to die for them. I don't serve them or, or have them in the center of my heart. That is reserved for one and one only. Not a donkey, not an elephant, but a sacrificial lamb. Amen. A lamb who was slain. If I could get a dollar for every time I've heard vote like your life depends on it in the last three months, I would be a wealthy, wealthy man standing before you. Vote like your life depends on it. Honestly, when I, I was, re- I'm really wrestling with that phrase because if that is taken to the extreme, it has the opportunity to become almost idolatrous in the way that we begin to understand that. Vote like your life depends. How about pray like your life depends on it? How about love your neighbor like your life depends on it? How about worship God like your life depends on it? Last time I checked, God is still sovereign. Jesus is still king. My faith in him is still strong. The local church can still grow. The kingdom can advance because Jesus is king and Jesus is still king. 
The phrase, vote like your life depends on it, it's bothersome to me because it, it actually feels almost divisive at its core. Like, like, vote this way, otherwise your life will never be the same. It's, it's based on fear. It's based on control. It's based on grabbing power so that you'll vote a particular way. The problem, though, is that this isn't how Jesus works. Peddling fear and peddling control, that's not how Jesus advances his kingdom. Do you remember this last summer, we, we spent a lot of time in the book of Revelation. We spent 10 weeks in the book of Revelation. And we looked at some of these mega themes that we, that we could pull from the book of Revelation. You remember one of the things is that people would hear something in the heavenlies, but when they would turn and look, they would see something different. Right? That in heaven, believers would, would hear a voice that sounds like the lion of the tribe of Judah, but when they would turn and look, they would see the lamb that was slain. That things aren't always what they seem. And right now, we live in a nation and we're surrounded by a political system that's, that's clamoring for power and grabbing a hold of it, sometimes what looks like by any means possible. And Jesus did it differently. He did it differently. He drank the cup of suffering. He didn't grasp for power or ascend to the top in any way possible. Instead, he gave his life. He died. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Peter pulled out his sword and tried to, to tack the soldiers, he cut off a soldier's ear. Do you think he was aiming for the ear? No, that's a fisherman with a sword in his hand. He was trying to do damage. And Jesus said, no, put it away. That's not how we do things here. Shortly after, he was standing with Pilate. And he was being interviewed, whether he was going to be acquitted or whether he was going to be crucified. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were so, my father would release all kinds of angels. But my kingdom is not of this world. The lines were not blurred for Jesus. And I'm afraid that right now, I'm afraid that the political and the religious worlds of our day have become a little bit more enmeshed than we would like to admit. We serve a king who sacrificed it all. We serve a king who laid it all down, who drank the cup of suffering, not who picked up the swords and grabbed for as much power as he could. I want to close with a passage this morning from Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. Isaiah wrote, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. This morning, I know that we have people celebrating and I know that we have people that are mourning. If you're celebrating this morning, take caution. If you're mourning this morning, take caution. Because God's ways are, are higher than our ways and we can't begin to pretend that we know everything that's happening between heaven and earth. And please, if if you can remember one thing this morning, please hear me this morning. Don't, 
sacrifice your testimony of Jesus so that you can win more people to your party lines. Paul said that's just never worth it. We're called to something higher than that. We're called to make Jesus famous above everything else. This is what we need to stay committed to as a church. Let's pray. God, thank you that you're here with us. God, we love you and we trust you. Pray that as we prepare to just sit with you and and worship and respond, we pray that you would speak to us this morning, that you would help us to become more and more like you in the way that we speak, in the way that we think, in the way that we live. Help us to reflect you to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, here at the Vineyard, after every message, we always create an opportunity for you to sit quietly and kind of just reflect on everything that you've just heard. And so the worship team is going to come up, but they're just going to play quietly and create kind of an atmosphere for us to sit together and and pray and talk with God. But I want to start our time of reflection this morning by taking communion together. And the reason why I want to do this is, is pretty simple. One, I, I want to draw our eyes away from the division that we've seen and maybe some of us have felt in our culture. I want to draw our, our eyes away from political figures, donkeys, and elephants. I want to fix our eyes on the sacrificial lamp. I want us to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. The world right now feels not just feels, in a lot of ways, is divided. And unfortunately, sometimes that division finds its way into the church. But we have something bigger than politics we get to rally behind. The sacrifice of Jesus. The body that he broke for us. The blood that he shed for us. And we can find unity in surrendering our lives to the Savior that gave it all for us. So go ahead and take out your bread and just kind of hold it in your hand. Don't eat it quite yet. But just hold the bread in your hand. And this morning I want to encourage you to prayerfully think about what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. That even on the night he was betrayed, he took this bread, he broke it. And he said, this is my body given for you. Take this in remembrance of me. His body. Broken. Divided. So that in him, we could have wholeness. So that in him, we could have unity. So that in him, we could be made whole what he's done for us. Go ahead at this time and and take your breath. He also took the cup. And he said, take and drink. This cup represents my blood, which is shed for you, poured out as a sacrifice 
for you. And so as you take the juice, again, prayerfully reflect on Christ hanging on the cross, dying for you and for me, shedding his blood so that our sins could be forgiven, making us completely whole, making us completely clean and righteous before the Father. His shed, or his blood shed for us. Go ahead and and take your juice. God, thank you that all across the church, all across the nation, all across the world, right now believers are gathering and have gathered for thousands of years to participate in communion together, that through this act of communion with you, we can experience your sacrifice all over again. That we can experience the ultimate price that you pay. God, thank you for all that you've done for us. Draw us into an experience of your presence and draw us into an experience of unity with one another right now. In Jesus' name. Just go ahead and sit quietly now for a few moments. Engage with God. Talk to Him about wherever your heart has gone in the last hour or so. In a few moments, I'll be back up to continue our service and lead us into a time of ministry. together. In addition to creating that space of quiet reflection, we always want to create an opportunity for you to respond to what God might be doing in your life. There's a variety of ways you can do that this morning. Our team is up. They'll sing a few more songs, so we would encourage you to lift your voice in worship, declaring that that Jesus is your King, that you trust and that that you love Him. Surrender your life to Him again.
you came prepared to give as an act of worship, you can do that online or in the boxes in the back. If you're viewing via live stream, you can click the Give Now button as well. And every Sunday, we always want to create an opportunity for you to receive ministry, to receive prayer. So if you're on the prayer team, can you come on down at this time and just kind of make your way around up front? We always do this every Sunday because we just want to create space for you to really experience God and to receive ministry if that's what your heart really needs this morning. If you're viewing via our live stream, if you click the live prayer button, someone from our team will pray with you right now. And listen, I know that that a lot of us are going through a lot of things that are completely unrelated to politics. We've got family strife, we have financial strife, we have just hurts and pains in our body, in our mind, in our heart that need to be healed. And we would love to pray for anything and everything that you might be going through. But we also know that that maybe the last week or two or even the, the last political season has been rough for some of us. And if that's you too, we would love to pray with you. Maybe maybe actually some of the things that I said, you've, you've said or you've thought or they've been said or thought about you and you just need prayer to be free from that. God would love to minister to those areas of your heart this morning. Or maybe there's relationships where you know you've actually been more of an advocate for your political leanings than an advocate for Jesus. And you just want to pray for that person this morning. We would love to pray with you for that as well. But more than anything, we want to create a space where you can respond to God for whatever God has for you this morning. So let me pray over the room and then we can respond as God leads this morning. Holy Spirit, would you come and fall upon us right now? We know that you're here. We know that you've been moving. But we invite you right now, God, to to actively stir within our hearts, to give us courage and faith to respond in the way that you're inviting us to respond and to minister to us this morning as we worship you and lift our voice to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come forward for prayer if you want prayer? Let's sing together in a few songs. I'll be back up to close our service this morning. to this 
love you and we worship you. We surrender our life to you again and we commit, God, to building our life on you and you alone. We invite you, Holy Spirit, to fill us with your peace and help us to offer that peace that you have freely given to us to the world that so desperately needs us, needs that peace around us. God, thank you for who you are, what you're doing in our lives and in our church. We celebrate that this morning. And we celebrate you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Hope you have a great rest of your Sunday and start to your week. And like I said, we'll jump back into the Wonder Women series next Sunday. Take care, and we'll see you then. Oh